my testimony this week is that I know, you know, at the beginning of the week, a lot of people were thinking and talking about um, the actor who died and, and his, you know, his uh, problems with addiction. And I know that was on a lot of people's mind. And then uh, the Lord just put on my mind and my heart about uh, suffering and people suffering. And the Lord convicted me and renewed my heart about that, you know, he, it's not just about that he wants a relationship with us. Yes, that's first and foremost, but part of that is he so, there are so many people in this community and all over, he so wants to heal people internally. He so wants to deliver people. That is like, it's on his heart. And as I was praying about that, then the Lord also um, showed me and, and convicted me about then there's other people that, you know, they, they, they seem successful. They seem like everything's normal. You know, their family's doing fine. They, their job is fine. They got new kids and all this. But they are just as bound up. If they are not serving the Lord, they are just as bound up. They're bound up in chains of pride or idolatry, rebellion. And, you know, you may not be able to see it, but that's there. And, and they need that, you know, that, that deliverance too, that, that, that change too. And the, the thing is... Um, also, it's like, it was like chains around them, lies, lies that they're believing. If they're not serving Christ, you know, it's chaining them up. You know, other religions, cults, uh, universalism, and 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 God's heart is is for them too. And so um, that reminded me. You know, I used to be one of the people that was chained up and bound, but God set me free. He wants to set the captives free. And not only that, He set me free. He was able to keep me. He's able to to keep us you know, through the storms of life, through these things that, that we do not have to be bound up by our past, even our things that people have done to us. There are people that are bound up by those things and those become chains. So I, I'm just uh, thankful today that that's, that's here for everybody. That, that's what God put on my heart. And uh, the verse that would go with that, that the Lord gave me from Jude, uh, Jude 1, 22 and 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To, sh to show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jesus came to set the captives free and destroy the works of the devil. And now we're coming in his name and we can do the same. So we'll just uh, pray for the service. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you know all people, Lord, and you know what we've all been through and you know the people, uh, Lord, that have hurts. That, that are bound by things and those things have caused them to get bound by other things and the devil has used that as chains around them God but you have come and you've given us the authority Lord your spirit is here your presence is here and we believe that you're going to move in this service today God that if any that have been uh, bound by uh, by things in their past by what others have done to them problems things in life that they've been chained up that you will set the captives free by your spirit and by your word Lord and we thank you for for that we thank your presence is here to do it lord and we ask that you would also move and encourage us lord prepare us for the future fill us with your joy that we can continue to face these things in victory god in jesus name thank you lord come on put those hands together church come on he's worthy we lift up the name of jesus in this place hallelujah
Yeah. 
Take me. 
to surrender something to Jesus. You got to open up those hands with what you're grabbing onto. Come on, if that's you. Come on, respond to Jesus this morning. He's telling you to let go. How we let go of the things, oh God, that we hold so close to Jesus so we can grab what you have for us. Let's lift our hands up to that, God. God, we are your children. We are your sons and daughters. We are your called out ones, God. We are your separated ones, God. You are mighty. You are enough, God. We submit to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah, God. Lord Jesus, we just surrender to you, God. All of our thoughts, God. All of our worries, God. All of our doubts, God. We surrender them, God. Because we have faith in you. You are a big God. You're not a little God. And you're bigger than our problems, God. Right now, just where you're at, I just want you to reflect on that. That Jesus is big. God is big. He is with you. And he is enough. Whatever you're facing, whatever doubts you might have had, is God really with me? Does he really hear my prayers? Whatever it is, God wants to remind you today that yes, he does. And yes, he is. He is with you. Amen. In Jesus' name we said, amen. Hallelujah. Clap it up. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. All my children, King's kids, go ahead and and we're going to dismiss you right now. God is good. All the time. God is good. Come on. Woo! My name is Deanna. I'm a pastor here at Metro Praise International. And man, just the hope and the love of God's presence. Can I get an amen? Man, God is so good. And, and me personally, just, just my own life, man, I've been knowing that hope and that love for, for about five years now. And every single time, he just comes in a different way. He just reminds you of the same thing, but in a different way. And um, before I gave my life to Jesus, I just want to share with you that, man, I I did not care about my life at all. I mean, I was smoking, drinking as a teenager, and I even, even, you know, would crawl out of classrooms, you know, and and, uh, my mentality back then was, who cares, you know, and... And here's the thing is that kind of that kind of mentality, that kind of attitude, who cares? What that really is saying is no one cares. Right? And some of you people like to say that, man, that's a teenager thing. Oh, all, all teenagers go through that. But there's some adults in here, right? There's some adults in here that there's that one area, it might not be your whole life like mine, but there's that one area where it's like I can do whatever I want right here because who cares? No one cares. But I want to share with you today that there is someone who cares. Amen. There is someone who cares about you. There is someone that cares about your affairs, amen, and everything that you do. All right, and he's mighty, and his name is Jesus, amen. The first thing you need to know is that you are born a sinner. We are all born sinners. That means that we have fall short of the glory of God. Like if I want to go and buy some Flaming Hot Cheetos from the corner store, I don't have enough money, I'm short. You know, that means I leave that place without having Cheetos in my hands. You know, and so if you if you are a sinner in this place, you're born a sinner. We're all born sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. That means that we are separated. We we don't know God. We we don't we never get to taste the glory of God. We don't know him. You may know of him, but you don't know him because you fall short of him. Amen. And Jesus came to bridge that gap between you and him. He said he said, you know, in, in John three sixteen, I want us all to read this together. Is it up? John three sixteen. On the count of three, let's read this together. One, two, Three, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can give your life to your good works. You can give your life to going to church. You can give your life to your family, putting everything you want first and just giving your life away. But that will never bridge the gap between you and God. It never will. It'll, be, it'll feel so short 
you'll, you'll feel like you're trying so much and it'll never, it'll never complete you. But there's one that already gave himself for you. His name is Jesus. And he said that he'll bridge that gap. He was sent so that you would not perish. But if you, if you receive the free gift, the free gift of, your sac- of his sacrifice for your sins, you will be saved. Amen. We're di- you're born a sinner. But God doesn't want you to die a sinner. Amen. He does not de- desire for you to perish. You know, when, when I came to church my first time, I felt his presence right here. You know, just as strong as we felt it all today. And the first thing I thought about, I felt God's presence. The first thing I thought about was, man, God is real. Oh, my gosh. The second thing I thought about is this. Everything that I've been doing, all the things I've done, they've been toward God. They've been at God. It wasn't like no one was there. You know, I'm just doing whatever. Who cares? It's, it's my life. No, they were, they were with, someone was there watching. Someone cares very dearly. And just like if I try to buy those Cheetos, I'm not leaving that place because I fall short. It's kind of like some of you are in this church today and you know that there's a requirement of you. You know that things need to get right. But I didn't give my life to Jesus out of guilt. I gave my life to Jesus because I knew he cared. And I want to let you know today that it's free. The requirement is him, and he wants to give himself to you today. Do not leave this place without giving your life to Jesus, without receiving the free gift of salvation. It's only through Jesus. It's not in your works. It's not in putting whatever you want first. There was one that gave his life for you so that you would not die a sinner. Amen? Amen. And God is good. I just want all of us to stand up to our feet right now because Jesus is Lord. He loves you very much. And I want to I wanna just pray for us really quick. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you, God, for what you're doing, God. I pray, Jesus, if anyone felt that tug in their heart, God, that there, there's an area in their life, God, whether, whether they've given their life to Jesus or not, there's an area of their life that, that they have fallen in love with, God. They'd rather abandon you and focus on that one area. God, I pray, Jesus, that they would repent, God, to you because you are king, God. You are Lord. You put themselves first, God. You put them before you, God. You gave your life and you considered it a joy because you knew I am going to be united with my people if I die on this cross. God, I pray for that same attitude, God, that we would give it up, God, because you are good and you are worth it, God. I pray, Jesus, that the, the, the hell would not be a destination for anyone in this room, God, but that they would receive you, Jesus, and receive new life, God, not as a sinner, but this time as a saint, forgiven and free, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's clap it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. I want to let you know that there's going to be a, a fellowship video. During that video, if any of you felt that, that just compelled to receive uh, new salvation, renew life, there's going to be a prayer workers right there to my right. Lovely couple right there. And please come receive salvation in Christ. God is good. You don't die with regrets. Don't live this life with regrets. God has something better for you. Amen. Amen. So right now we're going to recite our confession of faith. And I want to know whoever wants a physical copy in their hands, please raise your hand and our ushers will uh, provide that for you. Amen. Amen. Well, on the count of three, I want us to recite this together. This is our Christian worldview. These truths that are found in the Bible, they're important. That We live them out. We see them. They are a reality. And we say this all together as one big happy family because God is alive in this, in these beliefs. Amen. Amen. So on the count of three, we're going to say them together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
the Father who makes purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible who reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward for believers in Jesus, the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! God is good. Amen. If you need prayer, get prayer. Don't hesitate. Let's fellowship. Woo! Thank you so much 
for being here with us. If you want to raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring you a brochure, tell you a little bit about who we are. Thank you for joining us here at Metro Praise. We have two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. Amen. And I just want to give you guys uh, a quick announcement. We have our Truth Is Conference coming up in March. Come on, give it up. This is going to be a powerful time. It's going to be for two days, Friday and Saturday. Well, actually, we're finishing up Sunday morning. And Truth Is Conference is really going to be challenging, encouraging you to defend your faith, encouraging you to be grounded in a biblical worldview. And please make sure to invite your friends. Make sure to get the days off so you can be here with us. The first session is going to be grounded in Jesus. Amen? Truth is grounded in Jesus. Number two, uh, the second session, truth is true for everyone. The third session, truth is always prepared. And the last one, truth is never ashamed. Amen? Guys, this is going to be powerful. You're going to want to make sure you get these days off. Amen? So here at MPI, we have a vision of loving God and loving people. The two greatest commandments, yes, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the way we do that here is through this discipleship strategy. We want to connect you, mentor you, and send you out. We want to make sure that you're connected to Jesus Christ. And then get connected to one of the life groups here. We have so many things going on throughout the month we want you guys to know about. So if you want a complete listing of what's happening this quarter, check out the back of your announcements or check us out on the website. But here's what's going on this week. Tonight at 5 p.m., we have Encounter Night. Encounter Prayer Night, 5 p.m., you guys soaking in God's presence. Wednesdays, King's Kids, 6.30 p.m. Parents, drop your kids off, yes, or stay and hang out with them. It's a great time for them to, to just learn great truths about Jesus. Friday, adult Bible study at my place, having a great time going into the book of 1 John. Child care is provided Friday at 7 p.m. Saturday, Elevate's going out ice skating. Come on, give it up for that. That is exciting. You guys are brave souls. Elevate, uh, 12 p.m. And then Saturday night evangelism at 5 p.m. Guys, powerful stuff going on. Saturday night evangelism. We want to make sure you head out. Check it out this quarter. It's going to be very, very powerful. The second part of our strategy is to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We want to mentor you to live like Jesus. And we do this through our one-on-one -on -one discipleship, meeting at a time that's convenient for you, learning great truths, getting mentored, staying accountable and spurred on to do what God has called you to do. And after you graduate the one-on-one -on -one class, you're going to go into the 201 discipleship class, Disciples That Make Disciples, Sundays at 8 a.m. with Pastor Jared. Guys, because God wants to use you. He wants to train you up to send you out. And this is the third part of our discipleship strategy, being sent out into the world to share Jesus Christ. Amen. And we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. If you believe God can do it, say amen. Amen. God is good. He's doing great things. If you guys can please open up your Bibles with me to Malachi 3, 8 through 9. It's time to prepare for our tithes and offerings. Malachi 3, 8 through 9. We are on Lesson 6 of our Disciples Giving Book. Lesson 6, it's called God Curses Those Who Don't Tithe. 
So last week, lesson five, we learned God blesses those who tithe. This week, we're learning that God does curse those who don't tithe. Man, that's deep, huh? So God is a good God, but we want to make sure that we are on God's side. We're blessing his house, and we're doing what he has commanded us to do, right? So we've learned that the tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. Somebody say faithfully. Faithfully. And so now, if you guys are there with me to Malachi 3, 8 through 9, let's start reading. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Wow. So we know that if we give to God faithfully, he's going to pour out his blessings. But if we're doing the opposite of that, it brings upon a curse. And so the two main points that we can take out of this is, number one, not tithing is considered robbing God. God considers the tithe his. Thus, we don't want to give it back. He considers us robbers. And number two, God curses those who don't tithe. God curses or punishes those who break his commands, both in his life, in this life and in the judgment to come. So God takes this very personal, us withholding the blessings that he's already poured out upon us. If we withhold it from being faithful to the 10%, we will be cursed. So let's summarize this. Giving God our whole tithe is very serious. It's a very serious command that will result in curses and punishment if we neglect it. Somebody says, I don't want to be cursed. No. So how do we apply this to our life? Number one, don't rob God by keeping his tithe. Number two, repent if you have been robbing God by stealing his tithe. And number three, give God your tithe faithfully. And now let's confess this together over our tithe on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and a curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, and is mandated for all and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Once again, 10% of your total income goes is, is, is the tithe, and it goes to the general fund here at MPI. Anything you give above that becomes your offering, and you can designate where that offering goes, whether you want it to go to the building fund, things that we have going on around the church, or our missions offering. And this year, we are raising $20,000 to be given to our Philippines missions trip that we are taking at the end of 2014. So great things are going to happen during that missions trips, evangelism, outreaches, relief work. So if you want to make sure you want to be a part of that, give towards that, and God will bless your gift. Let's recite this scripture together, Acts 20, 30, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings that you pour out upon us, dear God. And I pray that in this church we would not be cursed, dear God. I pray that we would not be people who withhold the tithe, who rob you, dear God, by holding, keeping back tithes and offerings. I pray that we would be faithful, dear God, and we would be blessed, dear God, abundantly, dear God. I pray that if there's people in this place who have been disobedient to you, that they would repent today, Father, that that curse would be taken off of their lives, dear God, and blessings would be poured over them in Jesus name thank you for who you are amen and amen come on come up as you give God. If you love Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Amen. Welcome to the house of God this morning. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I want to thank you all for coming out today. It's such a great day to be alive serving God. Uh, the sun is shining. It may get a little bit warmer. We may hit, uh, what, 20 degrees today? Hallelujah. Amen. It's so awesome. Somebody's going to be like walking outside with their sweatshirt now. Be like, it's so warm out here. And I want to just thank you for uh, joining with me on this journey today through a very powerful message. I invited some friends. They've come. We've also asked you to go to your Facebook and invite friends. So if you're here on behalf of a friend, thank you for being here. And for everybody that normally comes, thank you. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the Beatitudes, the blessings of God, the attitudes of blessings. And today we're going to continue on that to our second Beatitude, and all of them can be found for free online. So let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. If you are there, can you say I'm there? I'm going to hold up for everybody because I see some still getting there. I want you to use your Bibles even though we have the karaoke Bible up there. Uh, that's right, it's the karaoke Bible. And I want you to use your Bible because you can take notes and have it as you uh, go throughout the week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now I want you just to pause here and see this. Jesus calls his disciples. He doesn't just call church members, uh, you know, people who just want to play make-believe with him. No, he calls disciples. He calls people who are going to take his message serious. Do I have any disciples here today? Amen. Anybody that's going to take the teachings of Jesus serious. So let's hear what he's saying. He said, blessed. And every time you see blessed are, would you shout it out with me? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they 
will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is so important to the Christian's life that Jesus repeated, blessed are each and every time. He could have just said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and just kept putting commas there. But he stopped and reiterated each one and added another specific blessing to that action. So he's teaching us, if you want to be blessed, do this, and then you'll receive this. So the blessings of God are actually compounded in the believer's life. It's not just a singular thing. It is a compounded thing that God is doing in our life. He doesn't want us just to have money because money can come and go. He wants us to have blessing, the source of provision, so that whenever things change in the economy, we'll know he never changes. He wants us to understand that we have the kingdom of God, which is more than just one answer to prayer. It's having a relationship with the king that can receive multiple time after time answers to prayer. Somebody say compounded blessing. Blessing upon blessing. Now I want you to look at the terms here. As we just learn about this series, because if you uh, want to gather the information properly, you have to know these terms. And the first term we need to know is disciple. Everybody say disciple. And these are the committed learners and students of Jesus. So when you come to church, take notes. On the back of your announcements, there's a way to do that. Take notes on your phone. Be a part of the discipleship, the 101 and the 201. And make sure that in your life, you're like, I'm a student of Jesus. Because if you're just hearing what he's saying but not doing it, the Bible says it's like you're building your house upon sand. And when a storm comes, that foundation is going to fall apart. But if you hear the words of Jesus and build your life on those teachings, it's like a foundation made on stone. Here's the thing I want you to know. Everybody's life is going to face storms. Everybody. Today, as we talk about being blessed in our mourning, being blessed in our sad times, you have to understand, if you're not facing a sad time today, one day you will. If you haven't faced life's tragedies, you will. But what will make the difference is if you're a disciple of Christ, basing your life upon Jesus. doesn't mean you won't have hardships. It just means you're a committed follower and a student of Jesus. You know how to get through that situation. The second thing that we want to know is that this whole sermon is a part of a bigger sermon. The Beatitudes are a part of something called the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody say Sermon on the Mount. Thank you. This is the largest portion of Jesus' teachings in the Bible. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it's the very foundation for our Christian life. So I not only want to encourage you to read the Beatitudes this uh, next month, February and March, I want you to read the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to, to learn if you can memorize at least the first eight Beatitudes. And I said as a treat that at the end of this series, I'm going to have my children. A th will she be, when's her birthday, March 11th? Okay, so at the end she'll be four years old. So we're going to have a four-year-old and a five-year-old repeat eight Beatitudes. Attitudes. Come on, somebody. And then I'm going to hand the mic to random people and say, your turn. Okay? So y'all better come ready. Look at your neighbor and say, he's serious. <laughs> yeah, my pastor would do that. Like, mic, like in your hand, I'm a visitor. It don't matter. You better know these things. Beatitudes come from the, uh, the Latin word beatus, and it means to be blissful, happy, blessed. And it's the blessed sayings of Jesus. So we just don't want to be blessed and happy. We want to be blissed, man. Come on, just hold up your Bible and go, cheers. <laughs> come on, toast to your neighbor and say, cheers. Woo! We want to get blissed on Jesus, man. 
See, sometimes people think that, you know, sad is holy and being sad all the time is holy and happy is sinful. No, Jesus wants us happy. He just wants the right kind of happiness. Not a happiness that's superficial, not a happiness that's always smiling all the time, but a deep-rooted happiness that says God is good even though these things are bad. God is good. And that's where our happiness comes from. So don't let anybody steal your joy. Amen? And we're going to learn today, yes, we mourn, but God comforts. Yes, we have sorrows, but we can make a trade for his joy. Amen? And the word blessed is, it's like I said, it's such a compounded word, and it's layer upon layer upon layer. It means to be spiritually happy and successful. Somebody say successful. Thank you because of the favor upon uh, your life from God. It means that God has put his divine approval on you. So just like we learned in tithes and offerings, and I want to thank you for your committed giving to this church. Because of that, we were in the black last year, and we were able to buy that baptismal tank. And we're already ahead of our mission giving in the, to the Philippines. And all that we're able to do is because of your giving. And there's blessings that come to that. And, and not only when we give, but the Bible's saying there's blessings that come into our life when we follow these teachings so it's it's really a choice it's it's do you want to mourn the way God wants you to mourn or do you want to do it your own way do you want to raise your family your way or do you want to do it God's way and literally you can go through every command that God gives there is a blessing and a curse just go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and see the principle of God there's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience so for anybody who says I'm going to remain neutral you're already on the curse side. I'm just being real honest with you today. Can I do that? So somebody goes, you know what, Pastor, I got enough blessings. I don't need no more. I've been blessed already, so I'm going to be bad in my spirit. I'm going to be cray-cray in my family. I'm not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to hunger and thirst now for basketball season and for the next baseball season. I'm not going to hunger and thirst for God's things. Okay, if you saying you don't need God's blessings and you're going to remain neutral is your stance, you have now put yourself under a curse. So there is no neutral. It's blessing or curse. So how many want to be blessed? How many want to be blessed more than just when you sneeze? Achoo, God bless you. Can I be blessed more than just when I sneeze? I, I want to be blessed all the time. Do I have to sneeze to be blessed? No, you can be blessed by following the teachings of Jesus. And everybody say kingdom of heaven. Thank you. You learned last week that the Beatitudes are written like books on a shelf. The first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, corresponds with the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Why? Because both of them end with the same blessing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. That's the first Beatitude. The last Beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus teaching us? Number one, he's a poet. He's telling us that he's pretty skillful with his words. Some of you all didn't know that. There's poetry in the Bible. It may not be recognizable to our kind of poetry, but he is speaking in a rhythmic way, in a way that when you're hearing it, you can put it together and easily recite it in such a way that you could even sing it. And uh, I would love for our worship leaders to write songs based on these Beatitudes. So he's starting with it and he's ending. And what that teaches us is even when we move on to the second one, blessed are those who mourn for their comforted, it doesn't mean they're no longer getting kingdom blessings no he's saying from start to finish it's all kingdom blessings so blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted in the kingdom blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled in the kingdom blessed are those who are meek for they will inherit the earth in the kingdom are you guys getting it 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy in the kingdom. See, sometimes you, you, you don't understand how big the kingdom of God is. I sometimes forget because we see the kingdom of America. We see the kingdom of the nations of the world. But our God is king over the universe. Our God is king over 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars. And he knows them all by name. And one day he will establish his kingdom forever on this earth. I want to be there in that kingdom then by starting by being in the kingdom now. Do I have any kingdom of God citizens in this place? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. Amen. Now let's get to our message today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. This is why I invited you to come, my friends and visitors, why your uh, friends and family invited you. This is what I want to talk about today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's read it together. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I was sitting down and searching my heart to how to share this message and I put these thoughts together and I just want to read this to you I hardly ever read uh, in our in my sermons most of the time it's right off the cuff if you couldn't tell you know pretty spontaneous around here you know and I want you to hear as I read this because I felt that I would have so much I wanted to say in this sermon to so many different kinds of people that I didn't want to just be led by my emotions so I asked the Lord I said God, can you give me in your spirit, in your heart, the words you want your people to hear? And as I began to meditate and prepare these words, God began to speak to me about this congregation and the kind of suffering our people here, just in this congregation, have dealt with just in the last few weeks. Let me just share some of these things with you. There were three funerals last week, three funerals with people related to our church, four women related to our church, are battling cancer right now for women. Last year, two of our pastoral elders' fathers died. One was right at the end of the year, and today, today, I did not know this, marks the year anniversary for one of those fathers today. Do you see God trying to speak to this church? Do you see that? I was talking to that gentleman who had lost his father, and I knew it was around this time, and I said, when, when did he pass? And uh, his wife wrote back and said, today makes the year anniversary. And I spoke to him today, and I said, I dedicate this message to your father, to him. Now, when we put this all together, you could see what direction does a pastor go in? Because we've all felt pain, some of us more than others, and some of us are carrying it right into this church so I sat down in my desk in a quiet place in a time of devotion, and I wrote these things out. And if I can say it without crying, I think you'll hear my heart today. And we're going to walk away blessed. So, brother, would you scroll up to the introduction? And our notes are online, too. And please share them with others who couldn't make it here today so that they can read and capture the heart. Pain and suffering can be seen in almost every aspect of our lives. From birth to death, there is no escaping it. We come into this world through the pain of our mothers and we leave through the pain of our bodies with the weeping of our loved ones. We cry as babies from the pain of hunger and loneliness and we feel intense sorrow when someone else's will overpowers ours. We grow up with rejection, loss, and heartache. But for some, their childhood is worse than others. As many adults now can attest, the young soul is capable of experiencing unimaginable pain. A lot of young people can relate to that even now as adults. 
On one hand, oddly enough, many of our greatest victories in life come through our deepest pains and sorrows. For example, the freedom of countries is fought through wars with parents losing their sons and daughters and the horrific sorrow and pain that people experience on the battlefield. As a result, many of our greatest accomplishments were birthed through our intense suffering and pain. For humanity, the sons of Adam, pain and sorrow can oftentimes be our greatest motivation. On the other hand, sickness, disease, tragedy, loss, despair can come at a moment and leave us feeling the sting until the day we die. The greatest thief among us is sorrow itself because no one can see it coming nor find the peace and joy it has stolen. I'm just going to read that again. The greatest thief among us is sorrow itself because no one sees it coming nor can find the peace and joy it has stolen. The person who has met deep sorrow wonders how they ever lived without knowing it because now everything is stained with sorrow's unending grief. From rich to poor, young and old, and everyone in between, sorrow truly has an appointment with all the race of Adam. And if you haven't been visited by sorrow in the way described here, just wait patiently for your time is coming. But have no doubt about it. Sorrow will come, and you will not be ready. The successful businessman today cannot predict his company closing tomorrow. The loving son doesn't know that the last words he spoke to his father will be his last. And no one knows how deep their pain will go until they face the loss of the very thing they treasure the most. My mother could have never imagined the pain she would face when she had to bury her daughter because of drinking and driving. And the daughter cannot fathom the pain she will feel when she goes to call her mom, but is struck with the reality of her passing. Therefore, many try to cope with this pain, with denial, anger, and suppression. How many are tracking with me right now? However, for others, they react to the pain and do things they would never have imagined before, knowing their intense sorrow. I'm going to read that again. There's people that do things that they never would have imagined doing before knowing this intense sorrow. The suicide victim didn't picture their life ending that way when they were free of their pain. The addict never woke up on a good day and planned their life of addiction. And the abuser never thought they would be the cause of someone else's demise when they were the victim. The cutter, the anxious, the depressed, the angry, and the lonely all wished for a better day. When we can understand whether we can understand someone's reaction to pain isn't the real issue. The real heart of the matter is this. It's horrifying what people can do because of pain. So this message, somebody say this message, is for the broken. For those who mourn, who have felt pain, be encouraged you're not alone. There's someone who not only understands everything you feel, but can also bring you comfort. His name is Jesus, and he's waiting for you. I wrote that from my heart to you as a pastor, that none of us are ready when it comes. And when sorrow and mourning comes, we can't even remember the times when we never had it. 
We look back and try to make ourselves happy at things that are fleeting. And the only thing we hold on to is that pain. And so when God said to us, blessed are those who mourn, some of you may be hearing that today almost as if Jesus is mocking you. Like Jesus is saying something cruel to you. Happy and blissful are those who are sad. You may think that's Christ mocking you in your pain. As some may shake their fists back to God and say, where was he and how could he? But this is not just anyone saying this to you. This is your Lord and Savior. And when he says you're blessed in your mourning, he means that. He means that there is something you're getting out of this that blesses you, though it hurts so much at the time. And he also promises you that though the blessing is coming through the morning, he does not want to leave you in that place. He wants to comfort you. That's why that most famous scripture we read at funeral, Psalms 23, says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they are with me. They comfort me. So today, be comforted as you hear these words. But if you're still in a place of mourning, receive the blessing that God has for you. Receive a blessing through your tears. Do not let your tears be meaningless to your life. Do not let your tears lead you to unending sorrow. Let God show you what he is teaching you through the pain. I want you to look at some of the notes right here because I do want you to have a foundation. We're students of the word. I could preach a very emotional message today. I could preach a very compelling message. But I want you to take notes as well. Why? Because when I'm long gone and service has gone over and we're done, I want you to be able to go back to your word and understand what is God doing through the pain? What is God teaching me through this sorrow? And it's not just about funerals and sickness. As I noted in the introduction, it's also about abuse that we suffer in life. It's also about losing things that we value like jobs in our homes. It can come from any different direction. So number one, mourning is simply sadness expressed in tears, groans, and emotional distress. It can come in a hundred different ways. But I want to list five different ways that mourning generally comes to us. If you look back at your life and some of the hardest times you face and the things that have made you mourn and grieve and express sorrow, they're probably in these categories. Number one, emotional hurts. These are the things that we deal with because of what people have done to us, and it hurts our emotions. Rejection. Maybe you were rejected from your family. Your dad abandoned you, and you had to be raised by a single mom. Or maybe just growing up, you were that one that was always pushed to a different lunch table. But rejection causes mourning. Broken relationships. Maybe you're here today, and you're recovering from a divorce. Someone just very close to me had to go to the hospital because of marital abuse. She was abused by her husband. Maybe you're facing that today. Maybe someone by the video, because I hope this is shared, has gone through that. Or just simply somebody just not loving you the way you love them, and it just broke your heart. It was almost like they took the most valuable part of you, a vase, that uh, represented your emotions, and they took it and just threw it down and broke it into a million pieces. And you try to put the pieces back together, but you can't. 
harsh words, broken promises. You know, people used to say sticks and stones may hurt me, but words don't, uh, these things may hurt me, but words don't hurt me a bit. We know that's not true. Words hurt us. What people say to us can stick with us for a lifetime. Broken promises can hurt us, and they can run through our mind like like a broken record just going over and over and over. Mistreatment and betrayal. And the Bible talks about this. I want you to turn to Psalms 4, verse 1. If you ever think that the Bible is painting a picture of the yellow brick road, you don't know the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's probably a prayer, a groan, a mourning part of the Bible that could express your feelings sometimes even better than the way you could. I know some of you are going through it right now, and you may not be able to get all the notes and may not be able to get everything out of this, but I want you to hear me as you're turning to Psalms chapter 4. Just the book of Psalms by itself can encourage you. Just the book of Psalms. If you don't hear anything else about mourning, maybe you're just going through it. It's so hard to take it all in. Just read Psalms today. Read Psalms to your family. I remember as I was a young believer, I encountered a, a woman that was going through a painful divorce. And we were on our way to go to a conference. And just with tears coming down her eyes, she said, if it wasn't for the book of Psalms, I wouldn't be here today. Because she was just reading the cries of someone else. And it was like expressing her heart. Look at Psalms 4, verse 1 here. Here's David crying out. He can relate to emotional hurts. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And then he begins to go on and talk about how people are distressing him and their behavior and their attacks against him. And he's saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm emotionally hurt right now. I'm in distress, God. Come to me. Answer me. Number two, we can face physical hurts. This can be sickness, injury, or abuse. So sickness can be something that you had nothing to do with. I just met a guy at the gym. He's in way better shape than me, way better looking, and I'm hanging out with him feeling good like we're going to the beach on, you know, Michigan Avenue. When the weather gets warm, I'll be like, I'm just this guy, you know. And we're talking, and he says, I've had to get open-heart surgery twice, and the last time I had to have three stents put in my heart. I'm looking at this guy going, how did that happen? he's in shape, he's fit, he doesn't have a bad diet. He said, because of genetics, I have high cholesterol, and this has clogged my arteries, and it's had to result in this kind of pain, and I've had to seek a doctor. So there's, there's people, of course, that didn't do anything to ask for the breast cancer, didn't do anything to ask for this kind of pain they're suffering in their heart. They didn't ask for it, but yet they're dealing with it. And watching just one of my relatives go through their surgery, even just a standard surgery with medication, putting you at bed rest for a while, can result in your world being torn upside down. Watching us have to comfort her and tell her, it's okay, it's just the medication that makes you feel this way. Or your body's getting back on track. You'll be back on your feet again. You can see just physical hurt from sickness can bring mourning. And then, of course, injury. You think about people that drove today to church, yourself and others. Did you ever think today might have resulted in you being handicapped the rest of your life? It's a fearful thought. If we felt this way, we probably could never leave our home. But Nancy and I, on the way here today, saw the worst accident I've personally ever seen. This car smashed into a semi-truck and literally looked like it made this sedan a convertible. And all the firefighters were around 
with the jaws of life trying to pry that person out. And I'm just like, dear God, be with them. You may have been in an accident. You may have suffered something. And you, you're hurt. You're dealing with it. And you, you may feel like, I, I can't talk about it. I can't confess it. But it's real. And you shouldn't hide it. These are the things that we should talk to each other about. And then, lastly, people can have physical hurts because of abuse. As we look at our culture so sexualized by TV and pornography, is it any coincidence that there's now more sexual abuse of our teenagers than ever before? More date rapes than ever before? More college students being taken advantage of on college campuses? Is it any coincidence? No. We just saw this happen in our own neighborhood. A young man raped a girl early in the morning, beat her, and left her for dead right here on Long Street in front of her parents' house. She may be sitting next to you today. You wouldn't know and we wouldn't embarrass her. But today she may be mourning because of what someone did to her. You might be able to relate to that. Let's look to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Look to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible can relate to this. What's been happening today has happened before. People have suffered abuse. People have been hurt. People have been sick. And they've had to cry out to God. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You know, it's Black History Month. You know, slaves not only were beaten and physically injured, but they were also not given proper medical care. They were being treated as the lowliest of the low, and we can relate to that here in America. But that's what was happening to the Jewish people. They were sick. They were malnourished. They were getting beaten. Literally, all three were happening to them. Sickness, injury, and abuse. And what does God say? He says, I hear them crying out. I have compassion for their suffering. So often we look at the Bible as God is wrathful and angry with people. Though he has a standard of blessing and curse, that's true. But he looks beyond the curse to the sacrifice of Jesus, and he loves us. And in the Old Testament, he looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus and loved them based on that. Because Jesus, the Bible says, in God's mind, was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Because God, past, present, and future is all in one knowledge. Now look to number three on our notes, compassion. Not only do we face emotional hurts, physical hurts, but sometimes we can go through mourning by having compassion for others who are hurt, others who are suffering. When we lose them in our lives, and now we're affected because of what they're going through. I remember watching my mom bury my sister. I mourned more for my mom than I did for my sister. You all tracking with me on that? Watching my mom, watching a mother lose her daughter was more devastating to my senses than me knowing I would never see my sister again. It was just that raw to watch a mother bury her child. They say that's some of the worst things to witness in life. You can feel so much compassion. My wife has never seen me cry the way I cried when I saw my grandmother suffering from Alzheimer's in a nursing home with food stains all over her shirt. And she was such a dignified Italian woman. As I grew up as a child in her house, she was so dignified. But yet in this nursing home, she looked like a mess. She was a wreck. Her food was everywhere. And she just kept pacing. Her, she didn't have her dentures in. Her teeth were gone. And she was gnawing at her gums. 
my mom finally sits her down and says, this is Joey, this is your grandson. I could not stop myself from crying. I couldn't. I cried literally for 10 minutes because of just compassion for her. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 33. The Bible, of course, relates to people being sad for others. As a matter of fact, the shortest verse in the Bible, I believe, is probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Does anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Why is that powerful? Because it shows that he cares. It shows that he cares. Even in the story of Lazarus, he wept over Lazarus being dead. He raises him later from the dead. And some people might be like, well, why was he crying? He was crying because he was a high priest relating to our suffering. Even though he knew a miracle was going to happen, he was still relating to the sorrow of death. And what does that say to us? We all know we get to go to heaven. We all know we get to resurrect from the dead. We all know there's streets of gold waiting for us. But we look at funerals and loss on this life and we weep about it, even though we know God has a better plan. And Jesus identifies with that. People ask, where was Jesus during Columbine? Where was Jesus during Newtown? Jesus was weeping with the hurting. Jesus was broken for those victims. Then they say, why didn't he stop it? And that goes back to the Garden of Eden. He's given man a choice to do good or evil. With the same hands that that new town uh, lunatic killed and murdered people with, he could have become a doctor and healed people with. But yet God now promises those children are in heaven. So he makes it better in the long run. But in this world, he said, you'll have trouble. Why? Because people will choose wickedness. Look at John chapter 11, verse 33. John chapter 11, verse 33. I want you to see Jesus here and be blessed by this powerful representation of his heart. This is what he says. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. How many does that encourage today? When Jesus saw them weeping, he was troubled in his spirit. He was moved in his spirit. And then what did he say? Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. But hold on, Jesus is going to do a miracle. Jesus is going to do something great. Why are you weeping? It says right there. Then the Jews says, see how much he loved him. Why is it we weep for others? Because we love them so much. Why is it you weep for your family? Because you love them. Why is it we as parents weep for our children? Because we love them. And how does Jesus think about us when he sees us weeping? He has that same broken spirit that we do. He has that same humility that he will cry and weep with us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he sends the Holy Spirit to groan through us, longing to be back in our Abba Father's arms, that the Spirit will groan in us until we're with him clothed in everlasting bodies. Now look at number four. Stress can make us mourn. Now, Americans are more stressed than we've ever been. Have you noticed that? We work longer hours than we've ever worked. 
Teenagers are now dealing with a stress level that adults maybe just 20, 30 years ago didn't even deal with. You can be worrying about money. You can have cares of this life. You can have just this helplessness on the inside of you where you know you don't have the ability to change your own circumstances. I remember when we were in the process of going from our building on Irving Park to here, I laid in bed one night helpless before God and feeling the stress of a lease gone bad, the embarrassment that I would face before my peers. And I just cried that night. And I said, God, you only know. I don't even know how to express this to my mentors. I don't even know how to say it to Nancy. But I feel like a failure. I've done everything that I know is right, and yet I still have the wrong result. I can't change this situation, though I try so hard. Stress can bring you to that point. The economy, we know what happened in America, it brought businessmen to that point. They had no control over the economy. They had no control over what would happen in their industry, and it broke apart in their hands. And they're looking at what used to be, trying to pick up the pieces. I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, because the Bible can relate to people being so stressed out they don't even know what to do. The Bible can relate to that. You're a single mom today. You're probably more prone to this. I love that picture that they put up on Facebook. Here's how a guy gets ready in the morning, you know. He's by himself. He's showering. He's shaving. He's singing, you know. And then he gets done, and he's just waiting for the wife. And then the other slide shows the wife with three kids. She's trying to get the kids ready. She's trying to do her hair. She's trying to make breakfast. That can be stressful. Some of you are in high-stress jobs. Some of you have graduated from college with great debt, and you still haven't found the career that you want. And stress can build up. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.8, how Paul relates to us in his time of stress. He said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. He says, I don't want you to think this is just rosy and yellow brick road all the time. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I had a good father come to me one time. I was a young pastor, and it shocked me because I hadn't even had kids yet or a wife. This is literally what he said to me, a good father. He said, I feel so stressed out sometimes. I have thoughts of killing my family. I never thought I would ever hear anybody utter those words. There was just a man in Illinois just a few weeks ago murdered his whole family. You say, dear God, how could you get that bad? Because people can do horrific things because of pain, unimaginable things. Somehow in this father's mind, he wanted to make the pain stop, and he thought if he killed his family, he would make their pain stop for not being able to provide for them and took his own life. I mean, of course, that's an extreme example. Most of us will never get to that point. 
But how many of us have just looked in the mirror? How many of us have woke up in the morning and said, Not this again. I can't face another day like this. Not this again. How many of us have mourned and cried out to God saying, I can't do this, God. I just spare life itself. I just can't do it anymore. I can't take it, God. And then lastly, number five, look at your notes here. Sin can make us mourn. All four of these things, emotional hurts, physical hurts, compassion, and stress, don't have anything to do with us. And I want to make that very clear. That's not our fault. That's a part of being in a fallen world because Adam and Eve made a choice and said, we want to do things our way. And these curses have come upon our earth, and we have to be obedient to God and remain strong even in the midst of them. But this cursed earth will not be blessed until God remakes it with fire, he says. He flooded it once with water, the second time with fire. He will purify this cursed earth. The weather will be right. The disease will go away. The lion will lay with the lamb, and you will be able to play with snakes, and you'll like it. That's what the Bible says. Sin can make you sorrowful now because of what you've done. Past failures, mistakes, regrets, acts against God's commands. I remember being at a funeral, and I met some people from a church I used to work at. And it's been almost nine years, a decade since I've worked, uh, over nine years, almost a decade since I worked at this church. And when I was there with these people, the mistakes that I made back at that time came right to my heart. And I felt regret and condemnation again. I remember apologizing to the people because I left unannounced to go do something different. And I remember apologizing to one group of people until they said, Pastor, you don't have to say you're sorry anymore. But there are sins that we can commit in life that can go beyond just our repentance and can actually turn into guilt and condemnation. And any time you think about that mistake, any time you think about what you used to do, the devil just comes to you and he says, Aha, see, you're not a Christian. You're not loved by God. Because if you did, you wouldn't feel this way. Turn to 2 Corinthians 7.10. Anytime the devil reminds you of your past, what do you need to remind him of? His future, amen? And then any time the devil tries to tell you something, what do you tell him? Stop talking to me. <laughs> Stop reminding me of stuff. Why are we even having this conversation? I told you once. I ain't telling you again. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Yes, we need to repent, but we can't let condemnation come on. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. See, but worldly sorrow brings death. So when you're truly sorry for your sin, God is saying, hey, you can move on. But for some of us, we don't do that so easy, do we? Some of us, we pick it back up. And we let the devil have us believe that we're really not forgiven. That we're really not clean anymore. That this will forever stain our reputation, forever stain who we are. And God is telling us that is a lie. When you ask for forgiveness and you come before God broken with that sorrow, there is no regret. You receive it and say, thank you, Jesus. I am who you said I am, and I can do what you said I can do. 
Now go back to your notes, please, because there's those five things, and I want to now help you. What not to do when mourning, because we're all tempted to do things that actually make it worse. Not that the mourning is our fault, but there's things that we can do to prolong the mourning and make it worse on our lives. Number one, don't compare your pain to others. When you're going through something, don't try to say, well, I have it so bad and they got off easy. You doing that will never help you. You comparing your life to somebody else. Well, my sister, she got it easy because my parents did this for her and my parents didn't do that for me. And if they would have did this for me, then I would have had it my life like this. Or you might look at your coworker and say, wow, you know, look at them. They have it so much better. They have more money than me. They have this. They're not facing the economy the way I am. You don't know what your neighbor's going through. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Nancy and I had a visitor come to the church a while back. They lived out in the suburbs. It was a friend of one of our members, and they invited us over to our, their house. This house had to be at least close to 10,000 square feet, at least. They had a gym in their basement with a basketball court. The ceiling obviously wasn't as high as it normally would be, but they had at least a 10-foot-high basement with a basketball court. And then they sat down with us and talked about the sorrows of their business and their jobs and the stress that they're under. You have no idea what your neighbor's going through. Stop comparing. You, you, the Bible says you can't know anybody else's pain the way you know your own pain, so just leave it alone. The Bible says the exact opposite, not to compare, but rather to mourn with those who are mourning, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Now, we should help our brothers and sisters get out of the mourning and let them know God wants to make them happy, but we shouldn't try to compare the mourning. Number two, don't blame God. Blaming God only shuts off the comfort. So if the devil can convince you that this world is God's fault, the pain you're facing is, is the world is the way it is because of God, and the pain you're facing is because of God, what has he now just done with his deception? He has now cut you off from the peace of God. Not only did he lie to Adam and Eve and bring us into a cursed world with fallen people and things that happen all the time, not only did he deceive humanity there, but he's now deceiving humanity today by saying, blame it all on God. And that's why you'll see one of the craziest things I've ever seen as a pastor is when people go through troubles, they stop coming to church. People going through sorrows will stop coming to church. Why? Because they may feel judged. They may feel that God has abandoned them and they didn't have enough faith or something. Or, or they'll start to get this, this, this weird feeling when they're worshiping like it's fake because they, they, they can't worship a God that would be a monster that would allow this to happen. And they cut God out of their lives. Don't blame God. If you read the book of Job, which is the famous book in the Bible about suffering, Job realizes at the end that it was the devil doing all of the harm, but God was allowing it for his good. And here's the way you can look at it. I want everyone to look up at me, please. Here's a simple answer to what I think troubles many of you. You can either have God with your troubles or have God without your troubles and suffer eternity in hell. There is the simple solution. So the person right now whose mom is going through cancer they could flip God off if they want. Won't change a thing. Mom still has cancer. And they're going to go through that without God's help. And then when they die, they will suffer eternally in hell because they were rebellious against God, slandered God's character, slandered his name. You say to, about me, Joe cheats on his wife. You're a liar. You're slandering my character. 
Do not say God is not good. Do not say God is an evil monster. You are slandering his character. Or the person can go through the same suffering but go through it with God. Because either way, you're in this world and can do nothing about that. So the choice you have is go through it with God and be blessed here, find comfort here, and then have heaven for eternity or suffer here and suffer for eternity. I think I'm going with Jesus. Amen? Number three, we can become hopeless. We can lose the hope. Hope is a powerful commodity in our lives, and we can lose it. Number four, we can suppress our sadness and try to hide it and act like everything's okay, or we can hide it from God and his people. These are not the things we want to do. Now, let's keep going as I hurry through this. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, because there is a time to mourn and there's a time to heal. And it doesn't matter what devastating thing you have gone through. You have to come to the place where you trust God when it's time to be healed. You trust God about everything else in your life, don't you, as a Christian? You trust God about when it's time to get married? How many got married on God's timetable? Four or five of us? Amen. Hope the rest of us will learn the right way, amen, for our children's sake, right? We can teach it to them. How many of you... Got the right job that God put in your heart to have. Okay, another four or five of you. I'm hoping that some of you learn how to hear from God. How many of you picked the church because God told you to find a church and this was the one he told you to be to? Amen? Oh, there we go. We all heard from God on that. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. The same God that leads you to your spouse, leads you through life as a shepherd, is the same God that says, it's time to stop mourning. It's time to stop mourning. I know you're sad. This is Jesus speaking. I know you're broken, but it's time to heal. There is a time for mourning, but there's a time to heal. And if you only think God wants to cry with you all the time, you're not reading the whole Bible. He wants to heal you. Amen? He doesn't want this morning to turn into something different called a pity patty party. And there's something very different. And sometimes in church they, they, people think I'm not being compassionate towards the mourners. But let me in this message clarify this hopefully once and for all. I am distinguishing mourning, brokenness, hurt, and loss with continuing into self-pity and hopelessness and living in depression. Do you understand the difference? One is letting it all out and letting God bless you through it. One carries it on up to a point that God doesn't want it to go on anymore because you carrying it with you hurts you. And I love being at funerals and even unsaved people say the same thing. Don't let this, you know, when we're at a funeral and maybe, uh, you know, they've lost somebody they've loved. And one of the relatives who knows that person really well will come up and say to the kids or to the family, don't let this depress you in life. Don't let this take away your joy. They wouldn't want that. They would not want you to do that. Don't let death now steal your life. You all hear what I'm saying? Look what the Bible says. There is a time to weep and a time to... There is a time to mourn and a time to... Amen. That's the Bible. There's just a time to weep and be depressed. No, it says there's a time to weep and to laugh, okay? 
This is what you have to make up in your mind. God will lead me and tell me when it's time to start being healed. Turn with me quickly to Psalms 23, and then I'll give you a personal example of this. Psalms chapter 23, the good shepherd. Jesus said himself that he was the good shepherd. So we know who the Lord is. The Lord is Jesus, right? Lord Jesus is our shepherd. He says, I will lack nothing. Listen to this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And everybody who's either mourning now or coming through a time of mourning, listen to this part, and I pray your heart is open to it. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes your soul. You have mourned. You are broken. You have let out your tears. You have agonized. And here comes your shepherd at his leading, at his leading. And he says, I've got green pastures now to bring you to. But I don't want to go. I want to stay in bed all day. No, come with me to these green pastures. But it will never be the same because my mom's not here. My dad's not here. Come with me by this river of living water. And let it refresh you. Let it encourage you. Let it bring joy to you again. Let it bring peace. And some of you may say, but I'll never understand how I can have peace and joy after that situation. That's okay because he gives you peace that transcends your own understanding. He said the mind set out his will. He'll keep at perfect peace. He says that it will surpass your understanding. Yes, hurting saint. Yes, brother or sister. You may never understand how you can be comforted. But there is a comfort beyond your understanding to receive. There is a joy that is unspeakable, the Bible says. You can't even describe it in words. There is a joy unspeakable, full of glory that the Lord can give you. I want to tell you just a personal story. I told you about watching my mom, and of course this is my standard one if you've been around the church for a while because I haven't suffered that much other than this. But be it known to you, I will, and I'll have other stories because I will have to bury my parents, and Nancy will have to bury her parents. Suffering will not escape me, but this is mine. And watching my mother go through her sorrow, the brokenness of her life, and my dad and her pastor, and everybody's encouraging her, and week after week we're calling her. And then one day she said, God told me he has healed me from my brokenness. God told me he took my pain. And she said, I'm standing on that word. I ask her even to this day, after it's been over 12 years, how does it feel to miss Jenny? I miss her, but it doesn't hurt like it used to. There's a healing there now. Like the Bible says, there's a balm of Gilead. There's an oil that's been put over that callousness there and has made the heart soft again. There's the story of the man, I've told it before, who lost his family. He wrote the song, It is well with my soul. Listen to what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. A man's family died in a shipping accident, and yet he went to that same spot on a boat and as a Christian, he wrote this song. And he said, whether it's good days or whether it's bad days, it is well with my soul. Amen? You have to believe that. Now go back to the notes, please. 
Isaiah chapter 53, 4 through 5. Turn there with me quickly. I want you to see this scripture, and then I think we'll be good from this point out. I'll just reference them, and they're all there in the notes. I have plenty of scriptures to encourage because I wanted those of you here that the moment maybe we started talking about this, all you were on was your pain, and you're not hearing a lot of this. We're going to pray at the end, but I want you to be able to go back home and now process it. Process it. And for those of you who know someone, send these notes to them. It's a very clear outline. They'll get it. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, 4 through 5. How many people believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Can I hear an amen? But did you also know that on that same crucifixion, at that same crucifixion, on that same cross, he also took your sorrows? That as truly as you can believe today that your sins have been taken by a loving Savior, can you believe that also a loving comforter took your pain? Oh, but, but I don't feel any different. I don't see any difference. Can you show me your born-again nature? Can you show me the record of heaven that your sins are forgiven? Can you show me the Lamb's book of life? No, by faith. And when you trusted Christ for your salvation, then the experience came, didn't it? An experience of joy, an experience of a changed life. It's the same thing with your sorrows. You don't say, God, make me happy, and then I'll believe you came to make me happy. God, make me stop crying, and then I'll stop crying. No, you come to God with your tears. You come to with your brokenness, and then you say, God, when it's over, tell me it's over, and give me that peace that you purchased on the cross. And when he speaks to you, and he says, this time is over, this season has passed, you believe it. And I want to preface this. It requires you to have a relationship with God. So do not come up here and drag, drag God's name through the mud and say, I've tried it, but it never worked before. No, you might have tried religion. You might have tried a preacher's book on mourning. But I'm not asking you to do that today. I'm asking you to be in a relationship with God the Father where you hear his voice. And by the way, let me speak to every suffering saint here today. That's the benefit of being in a relationship with Christ. Because when I watched my sister and brother deal with the mourning of my sister, they turned to alcohol. They turned to deeper depression. They had nowhere to go through their mourning. But that's why the Bible says, in the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who mourn. Because they're taking their mourning to God. The same God that was with them through the other trials they faced, through the other sad times they faced, he's now there with them. So, saint, today be encouraged that this problem's not too big for God. The same, day that, the, the same way you came to God when a boyfriend broke up with you or you felt lonely and God comforted your heart, his power is that ample to do it today in this situation. You just have to go and hear his voice. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he took up our pain. That's why we all use the same version here. Makes it easy. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by men, and afflicted. You see, when he was going through what he went through, it wasn't on his behalf. He wasn't suffering on the cross because of what he had did. He was doing it because what we had did as sinners and yet while he was there taking sins, he was also taking pain and suffering. Do you think that Jesus forgave you of your sins? That same belief you have, you have to be over, uh, believe that he took your sorrows. 
Do you believe God watched you that day you sinned against his will? Do you believe he watched you and knew of that sin? Do you believe he knew that? And do you believe the day you confessed it, he had the power to forgive you of that sin? Well, then do you also believe that he sympathized with you and was there the day you suffered? He wept with you and was broken with you the day you were broken and suffered. Do you believe that? And do you believe that when you come to him with a broken heart that he heals it? It's the same Jesus, the same Savior, the same trade that we make for salvation in our sin. It's the same trade we make for our sorrows and his joy. Now here's five ways, five ways in closing today. As Rachel comes to the keyboard, look at the notes. Five ways to receive Jesus' comfort. Like I said, these will be better caught than just taught. These are things you have to do and practice in your life to receive that healing. It's not some quick fix remedy. It's not some just, hey, just do, just do this and you'll be fine. Yeah, just do it you'll be fine. A couple days, God will tell you it's all good. I hope nobody's hearing that today. I hope nobody's saying that I brushed over the issue. I hope that nobody uh, says against me today that I haven't given you the real answer, even though it's hard to hear. I hope that I've been honest. But as real as I've been in those ways, I want to be real here. There's comfort to receive. There's joy to receive. And you can receive it. And it's real. It's not make-believe. There's healing. Even before I read these five things, let me just read the scripture. Scroll down, brother. You don't have to turn there. We don't have enough time. But look at Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken heart. It's all the way at the end. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the release of the captives, and a release from darkness and the prisoners. To comfort all who mourn. Jesus says, I came to comfort all who mourn. How dare you take yourself out of that promise? Don't you do it, sir. Don't you do it, ma'am. Don't you take yourself out of that all young person. Don't you let the devil tell you you don't belong in that comfort. Yes, you do. You are a part of that all. And he comforts you. He comforts you. And it says, and provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. No, Jesus, this situation can never turn to be beautiful. Let me stay in ash. Don't do that. When Jesus says, let me clean the ash off of you and put a crown of beauty on you. Receive it. Receive it. Say, yes, Lord, you know. You know my heart. I can keep you here all day with how God has worked all things for good in people's lives. May not be a, a story you'll read about on Time Magazine. They may not become millionaires, but it's something how God uses life's tragedies and sorrows and loss and still makes something beautiful out of it. Now you can say back to him, I like ash and this is where I want to be. Or you can make a choice and say, God, I know mourning is real and I know you were there with me, but I also want this comfort because I know the comfort's real and I know there's a crown of beauty somewhere in the midst of this that you will exchange for my ashes. Crown on them. 
a, be- a beautiful crown instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That woman that I met that day in the car who was going through a divorce that I probably was so young I wouldn't even have understood, I saw tears of joy in her eyes as she talked about the Psalms and what God did. She was taking off that despair and she was putting on that garment of praise. God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put you first in all that I do. I'm going to seek your heart in this situation. I'm going to minister to others through my hurt because we're all a bunch of hurting people down here that's suffering together. So I'm going to take the healing I got and I'm going to share it with others. Here's the five ways now in closing. Here they are quickly look back at the notes. Here's the five ways you can receive it. Number one, worship God. His presence brings joy. Psalm 1611, His presence brings joy. Number two, daily give your burdens to Jesus in prayer. As long as you're feeling that mourning, you just keep giving it to Jesus. Jesus, I'm mourning with you today. I'm going through this with you today. I'm shedding my tears with you today. Never think you're alone. Acknowledge God. And if it's sin, of course, that one of those instances is sin. Repent of it. Don't let sorrow overcome your life. Number three, speak the word of God over your life. You have to remind yourself of God's goodness. Look at Psalm 7, 77, 11 through 14. And give me some OT right now for somebody that needs it today. Can I hear an amen? I promise not to keep you past three. Now we're going into OT. Amen. No, I'm kidding. We're, it's just, I want you to see why it's so important to speak the word of God over your life. You, you can't keep saying, I'll, let me just say this. When, when, when you speak this word, it will never be the same again. Well, that's true. Maybe you'll never be the same again. You're right. But if what you mean by that is, I'll never be happy again. That's not true. If you say something that goes like, well, I'll... I'll never get over their loss. Well, that may be true. We don't want you to forget about them. God doesn't want you to forget about them. But if you think you'll never get on with their loss, you're wrong. You will move on. You will. Look at Psalms 77, 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You have to stop and begin to think about what God has done for you and what he promises to do and meditate on that. Number four, going to the notes, live a life of faith and trust in Jesus. It's daily saying, I believe. I believe you died for me on the the cross. You took my sins. I believe you took my sorrows. Number five, you follow God's plan of healing and restoration. And that's what I was speaking about before in Psalms 23. God guides you to the stream of living water. God guides you through that path. God guides you into new relationships, new things, new jobs, new depth of understanding of life. He guides you through that, and you've got to trust him because he's in charge. And when you submit to him, it will be all good. Would you stand to your feet and give God a hand clap of praise today? Let's let's give him a hand clap. Amen. Altar workers, would you come, please? I gave you five and uh, four encouraging verses here at the end of the message. You can look at out the notes. But I want to read this as we're all standing together. Psalms 34:18, the first one. 
And I want to ask you to consider this today. If you're mourning, if you're here today, I want you to consider this. A promise personally made to you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Can you just close your eyes? I just want to say that again. All of us, just close your eyes. We, we do this in an attitude of prayer to not be distracted. Just close your eyes. Can I read this to you again as your pastor? Hear this as a promise from God to you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. If you need God's deliverance today, would you just raise up your hands and just say, deliver me, God. Deliver me from my mourning, my hurt. You don't have to keep them up forever. I just want as a sign, just a one-time sign, you're just surrendering. The Bible says lift up holy hands to God. It's a biblical principle. And just say, I surrender my hurt, my pain, and I ask you to deliver me. Lord, you see those right now with hands raised. You know the situations they faced. You know the pain that they bear in their heart and what they're going through. Lord, I ask today in this service that the comfort will begin that the hope will come, that the peace will transcend their understanding. Lord, that they'll know that they're not going through this alone and that you've promised them there is an end to the morning. And so as they continue through this day, through this week, and through this season, Lord, encourage them that you're with them. You're with them in their brokenness. You are close to them. And at a time that you deem to be fit, you will deliver. You will rescue. And you will say enough is enough. Joy come. Dancing come. Peace come. Lead your people, God, to those paths. In your precious name we pray. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Let's bless the Lord today. Amen. Band, would you come? Band, would you come, please? We're going to dismiss now. And as we dismiss, we're going to have these altar workers up here with you to be a shoulder to cry on or just to be somebody to encourage you, to pray for you. But I would just suggest, whatever you're going through, if you're one of those today morning, would you let us pray for you? And if... You're not that person, but you know somebody. Maybe come up and ask them for prayer for that person that you know going through it. Lord, bless our, our, your people today, all that we do in your name. And Lord, heal broken hearts at this altar. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Let's bless them one more time. You are dismissed. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, be comforted. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. Band, would you lead us in worship? Come forward if you need prayer now. Let us just lift you up. God loves you and so do we.